Like I said, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. This is, uh, we're going to be actually be in, in, uh, in book number five or in, in chapter number five. Uh, this is a, a series we're teaching, we're calling The Great Escape. Um, and we're just going to go a little bit of symbolism before we get started. Um, Egypt, as we've heard and we've talked about in the weeks in the past, and you'll need to know this for this message, Egypt is a picture of the world and a picture of sin. When you see Pharaoh, Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. Israel is a picture of the individual believer. And then Moses, in this story, is going to be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week in our message, Steps of Faith, Moses made preparations to leave Midian in order to return to Egypt. Through a series of events, God orchestrated the reunion of Moses with his older brother, Aaron. The two united brothers then made the three-month journey from Midian back to Egypt. Upon their arrival, they faithfully followed, the God's, they followed God's instructions on how to speak to their brethren, and the people believed. Now, uh, with the support of their fellow Israelites, Moses and Aaron are going to go before Pharaoh with the intention of convincing him to let the people go in our message today, which is titled, A Test of Faith. Let's pray. Lord, you know um, my heart today, Lord, is to not, uh, not to be heard. Uh, Lord, if I can speak today and not, not be one word from David... That would be marvelous. God, my desire is that the very Spirit of God would speak through me, Lord, that you'll lead us through the Scriptures, and that, Lord, you'll not only speak to us, but, Lord, you'll speak, uh, Lord, through us, that, God, we might share the, the truth of the love of God with others. Uh, Lord, I know that uh, you know who I am. You know how broken I have been in my life, and, Lord, how you have restored, and I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for what you've allowed me to see in the ministry here at Hope Baptist Church, and I would ask God that, please, uh, Lord, that you will be exalted in this message. Lord, take over, lead us, direct us, God, that your name will be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 5, verse number 1. It says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Now, that, will you see where it says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel? That's the first time you're going to see God kind of titled like that, which is really neat. It says, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. So the brothers go in and they follow the instructions that God gave them. Let's look back at Exodus 3, uh, verse 18. We look at what the actual instructions, this is what God told them to say. He says, And they shall hearken to thy voice, meaning the Israelites are going to listen to you. And thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So Moses and Aaron basically say, look, you know what? And what's interesting is they do what they're told, but what's interesting also in Exodus 4, we saw in verse number 15, God said, I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth. He says, I'm going to guide you in what to say and how to talk to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, who is this, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I get, neither will I let Israel go. Pharaoh's not impressed in this instance. He says, who is the Lord. Now, what's interesting is we know that Pharaoh would have known who the Hebrew God was because the Israelites have lived under his rule now for many years. And what happens here is, bottom line is, he would know who, who God was, who the Hebrew God was. It's not a matter of not knowing who he is. It's a matter of having belief in him. Because what happens is the Pharaohs believe themselves to be gods. So another deity is not too impressive to him. And he may have even had respect for the fact that they wanted to go into the wilderness and they wanted to give offering and worship. But what he would probably be thinking is, well, that worship should be going to, to me. I am, after all, a god, right? Pharaoh, uh, like many of us in our lives, thinks that he's calling the shots in this instance. He believes he's the one in charge, but let's look at what's really going on. 
In John 8, 44, the Bible tells us this. It says, ye, meaning natural people, the natural man, people that don't know God, says, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The, the enemy cleverly allows us to believe that we have control in our lives and thus using uh, his influence subtly, and we think we have this control, but bottom line is he, what he does is he pushes us toward our natural tendency toward evil. And we go, ah, I don't know if I believe that to be true. Ah, natural tendency towards evil. Think about this. We're predisposed to do things wrong. If you have a little child, let's say a toddler in your home. I know that none of you can relate to that, right? We just saw an example of a toddler being uh, carried down the, down the aisle there. Um, but what happens is, let's say we had some, some, some nice yummy cupcakes. And we fixed them and we put them on the counter and they've got beautiful red icing on them. And we leave them and we go, now don't touch those. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So then we leave and we go upstairs and we're gone for, let's say, an hour. And we come back downstairs and we notice the cupcake tray's been moved and there's one missing. And we look at this child and they've got red icing all over their face and all over their hands and there's crumbs all over the floor. And we walk into the room and we go, did you, did you eat one of the cupcakes? <laughs> are you sure? And their hands are covered in red. It's all over their face. You're telling me you did not take a cupcake. Well, what happened to that cupcake? I don't know. Right? Does that seem relative? Is that, is that relevant? Right? I mean, we all experience things like that. Their tendency is not to be honest and say, you know what? Hey, I took the cupcake. I don't. I was wrong. I should have told you up front. I should have called you as soon as I did it. No. Their, their aspect or their, their desire is to hide this truth. This we are predisposed to rebellion and we're, re to, re we're predisposed to sin. This question, who is the Lord, still preoccupies humanity to this day. Right. A Lord is defined as an individual who has power, authority, and control over another as a ruler or a master. Right. People struggle with relinquishing the role that this leader has in their lives because they don't want to recognize that there is a leader in their lives. What happens is we live in our emotions. We live in our frustrations, our anger, our lusts. We're fed and fueled by the things that we feel and we live our lives based upon these things. We have a ruler. The bottom line is many times we don't want to recognize the fact that he is ruling our lives. We believe we have control, but it's, it's a joke. We do not. We're not in control. We all have heard the humanist argument where people say, you know what? I decide my destiny. I call the shots. I decide what happens in my life, right? That mindset, that arrogance is a joke, man. And the thing is, Satan sits back and goes, yeah, I'm going to let you think that. I'll let you think you've got things going as he subtly pushes us in directions away from God. And it's that arrogance that separates us from God. It's a relinquishing of that position, recognizing that we have a problem and realizing that God is the solution that draws us to God. But what happens because of our arrogance, it draws us and pulls us away. So they, so they do, do they rule themselves as they claim or in reality is Satan their ruler? Let's look what it says in the Bible. It says in Ephesians 2, 2 and 3, it says, Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world. We know that to be a sinful way. According to the prince of the air, right? Prince of the air, that is, a, that is literally the label. That's a label, one of the labels of Satan. A prince of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, 
right? Among whom we all had our conversation. When you see the word conversation there, it can mean one of two things. It either means the way you speak or your lifestyle. Here it means lifestyle. It says, we all had our conversation in times past and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and where by nature, were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we have this, this evil influence in our lives. We have this draw to do what's wrong. That's why it's easy to do things that are wrong and it's hard to do things that are right, right? If everybody's doing something wrong, it's hard for you to be the one to go, no, 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 we should do things properly. It's real easy just to go around with a crowd. That's what many times happens. We get caught up in a, in a situation and we follow along with everybody else. The arrogance of humanity that allows Satan to have this incredible influence in this world. Many times we believe that we have control. That's one of the things that we're sold, that we believe that we have control and we can influence and we can actually uh, have, uh, have uh, an understanding of our world. And we think we have such, and that's again, we look at the arrogance in the scientific world. We got all these things figured out. We know all this. This is exactly what happened. This is exactly what happened. And things are spoken as if they are fact, when in reality they are still theory. Right? There was a study that was done. They said 70 years ago, the top 10 scientific proven things that were, that were all science in the world affirmed that were true, 70 years later, all of them have been proven to be false. But at the time, 70 years ago, everyone was in agreement that that was the absolute fact of the day. But what we find is God knows. So many times as humanity, we believe we know and have all the answers. We believe we've got control. But control is an illusion. An absolute illusion. If you think you have control in your life, you ever been in an angry mob before? Where people have lost control? You ever been around a bunch of people that just kind of lost it? Did you have any control? Nope. How about sudden illness comes along, man? You just get sick. You got no control. You get into an accident, you have no control. You lose your finances, you find yourself, you know, a, 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 a crash in your finances, you have no control. Control is an illusion. And Satan wants you to believe you have control. But bottom line, when it comes down to it, it is a spiritual battle that we're in. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Wrestle means to fight against, to push against, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I can tell you specifically when I've experienced this, and some of you that were there, you experienced this. On November 17th, we went on a love life walk, and this was going, it was actually to pray against abortion. And we know what's going on in our world and in our nation today, how there's an absolute assault on the unborn. Amen. They're doing all that they can to discredit them. They're doing all they can to basically make them inhuman. You know, these children, this is, I'm talking about up to the time of birth. The only difference between those children and us is time. That's it. But when we were at that Love Life March and we were praying, we weren't protesting and yelling anything hateful. We had 5,000 people on a piece of property right beside the abortion clinic, and we were praying for God's love and for God's interaction in these people's lives. And it was pure love. You could feel it, man. And those people that were over there, that were workers there, had gathered on the line right between us, and they were just a few feet away, and they were cursing at us. And they weren't saying, you know what, it's all about a woman's right to choose. It's about women's health. No, they were doing this. Satanic symbols. And one guy had a necklace that had a pentagram on it, a witch symbol, and he was waving it like this at us. And it all came down when the rhetoric was gone and the power of God's love was being pressed. The only thing you saw come back was evil. And you realize the veil was torn away. And it wasn't about all the words. It was about pure evil against pure good. And what happens is we're in a spiritual fight. And if you don't believe that, you are fooling yourself. 
Bottom line is there's one way to, to conquer evil, and that is through the power of God, not through our will, not through our desires, not through our words. You're not going to convince people. Somebody stands on what they stand on, man, many, you're not going to convince them. Many times you just harden them in the way they believe. But when you pray and God deals with their heart, he can change them from the inside. And that's the great thing. We have an incredible power of prayer that God makes available to this world. It was created for humanity. It was created for us. And if we will use it, God can change the world. Moses and Aaron not only face, they, they're not simply facing a man here. They're facing the force that is behind him. They're facing an evil force. Verse number three. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. They give more details now. They go, look, you know what? Bottom line is, notice they don't talk about him, that God, the Hebrew God, having authority over Pharaoh. They say, look, it's over us. But hey, you know what? Allow us to, to, to leave because, you know what? We're, we're answerable to our God. This is a more palatable way of, of sort of feeding his ego. But let's look at how he responds to that in verse number four. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye Moses and Aaron, notice he calls them by name, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens. He says, look, you want to call the people away from your work? What are you even doing here talking to me? You should be working as well. Remember that in reality, the Egyptians were afraid of the Jews. Check this out in verse number five. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many. Because guess what? They, out, they outnumber the Egyptians. And you make them rest from their burdens? So do you not realize that these are slaves? They do not have rights in this society. And you want them to have the right to go walk away? There's an Egyptian hierarchy that was established to maintain order. To maintain order. They keep them under oppression, right? They keep them under this oppression, this device of this organization. Now, if they, they allowed the, the, the Jews to walk away and go spend some time talking, they realized, you know what? They could do, they could organize. And if they organize, this could be a problem for us because that create create chaos. Right now, we've got generations of these folks that have been beaten down and beaten down and beaten down. And you know what? They're used to being slaves, and they're not going to be a problem. But we need not to have them chatting or talking on their own. And Pharaoh commanded the same day, notice this, the same day, immediately, he, he addresses this. The taskmasters of the people and their officers saying he gathers the leadership and he gathers them together and he tells them this. He shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Now, it is estimated that this would double the amount of labor that they would have to put in in order to make the bricks. They're already under a very, very, very heavy, heavy burden. They're already doing and working the entire day. So now what happens is their burden has now increased dramatically. It all comes down to control. That's what this is about. Now, how do you maintain control over the oppressed? by increasing their oppression, right? They're not gonna give them a chance to breathe. They're gonna jump all over them. And these folks are so used to being in servitude that they now, instead of standing up for themselves, they cower. They're gonna cower. They, they do exactly what they're told. And what happens in our lives is because we have these old patterns in our lives. And we've talked about in the past what oppressions we have in our own personal lives, right? I thought about things, you know, things like our self-image. That's an oppressive thing. If you think poorly of yourself, guess what? That's a hard thing to break. If it was instilled in you as a small child that you're not of any worth, guess what you think today? I'm not of any worth. No matter what you may accomplish in this world, those same lies will be used against you to drive you down. Oppression. How do you oppress the oppressed? Continue to oppress them. Increase their oppression. And many times we look in the mirror and we're the oppressor. We allow the things of the past to whisper in our ears and push us down. And we think about this. Addiction. 
We're all, people struggle with addiction in this, in this room. Whatever it is, I don't care if it's food, if it's whatever it is. But addiction's the same kind of thing. It's an oppression. It's a force that presses down upon you. It rules over you. Someone in your life as an oppressor, right? These habits are hard to break. It's hard to get out of these situations. If someone's been in your life and they've driven you down for all your life, it's hard for you to change that pattern. Our finances, maybe our health, our emotions, bitterness. Bitterness, man, that's one that's really tough because we'll take that bitterness that we feel towards somebody and I can tell you having somebody that lived it for many years against my father, I lived it for year after year after year and I wasn't until I was midway through my 30s that God started trying to help me through that. But that bitterness, man, I'm telling you what, it is a poison. It is a poison and it controlled me in every part of my life. But when I learned, finally learned how to, let God, how to let God handle it, I was free, right? So the reason the Jews don't take their freedom back is guess what? They do not believe that they can. The reason why people stay in the oppression of these things is because they do not believe there's a way out. They accept the oppression and they say, you know what? That's just the life that I'm going to live. And that's where these Hebrews are. They're saying, you know what? We have no other choice. It won't be until they see God's power and God start to work that they're going to gain any kind of confidence. But the cool thing is their confidence won't be in themselves. And see, the thing is, we go, well, I could never get out of this, this sense of feeling that I have of myself or the addiction that I face or whatever it is. As long as it's your will and it's your desire, guess what? You will not. But when you trust God to do it, guess what? He can bring you out of anything. It does not matter what it is. It doesn't matter how broken you are, how deep you are in a ditch, man. He can lift you out. Because it's His love that changes things. It's His influence that changes things. It's His Spirit that works within us to give us a strength that we don't know that we have. If you're a broken person today, if you're here and you say, you know what, I don't have any way out. God, know that there is a way out. Not only does God love you, but God wants to help you. He wants to fight for you. He tells, he calls, in, the, in, the, in the Psalms, he calls himself a strong tower where we can run and we can hide. And this world is not kind. And this world is run by one that hates us and wants to destroy us. When we learn to run to the one that loves us and create us for a greater purpose, man, he can change everything and take us out of the oppression that we've lived under for maybe our whole lives. Verse number eight. And the tale of the bricks which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them, ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. He says, look, bottom line is, not only are they going to be doubled their labor, but we're going to expect the exact same kind of quotas. They're going to meet the same numbers. They, they, obviously, if they've got time to come here and complain, they don't have enough work to do. So let's stay on them. Let's oppress them, oppress them, oppress them. Pharaoh's basically saying, if you have time to talk, you're not, we'll have enough to do. We get a glimpse here of the system of labor. We see that there was quotas designed, and it's kind of an interesting thing. We see a bit of the structure that the Egyptians had with the Hebrews. In verse number 9, Let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. These Israelites are not just going to hear that they need to get back to work. We're going to put force upon them. We're going to make their, their efforts harder. We're going to enforce ourselves upon them. Let them be so busy working that they cannot even consider or think about this foolishness of going to worship. The idea here is to maintain authority through further and greater oppression, thus reinforcing the oppressor's power. Now, we would call this intimidation, right? 
If there's something in our life that we're scared to face, it intimidates us. It makes us too fearful to face it. Many times we want to run away from it. The reason why addiction is one of those things that people fall into is because so many times they're trying to avoid what is there, or they just want to basically ignore it or pretend that it doesn't exist in their life. We want to fake, pretend, and try to convince ourselves that it's not real. Intimidation brings one of two results. It either brings submission or it brings opposition, right? One of those two. Which one will it be? Now, Pharaoh will see submission from the Israelites. They're going to submit. They're not going to fight anything. They're going to give in. But there is oppression or there is opposition coming, and it's going to come from on high. Praise the Lord. He's going to see what it is. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The one that is in you is God. The one that is in this world is Satan himself, who wants to destroy humanity. The great, their great God is on the case, and guess what? He's on our case as well. Whatever it is you're facing, God is on the case. You're not in it by yourself. He's always there, ready to come. He's simply a prayer away. And what happens so many times is the fact that we live it in our own and we don't turn to God. We wait and we wait and we wait. And God's saying, look, turn to me. He has a, he has a, has a solution for this. He's going to work through this. But all in good time. He's not going to show up yet. There are lessons still yet to be learned. Verse number 10. And the taskmasters of the people went out and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. He's telling him, he said, this is where they're trying to relay the message of the Pharaoh, going, look, you know what? Bottom line is, you're not getting anything. Now the people are hearing this news for the very first time. They're, they know their efforts, but now they're not going to get any straw. He says, go ye. He says, go, he says, go ye, get ye straw where ye can find it, and, no, and yet not aught of your work shall be diminished. He says, look, you're, the work is still the same expectation, but now you're going to go get your own straw. What's interesting about the way the straw was, the straw was actually gathered and harvested and it would have been stored in storehouses. So at this point in time, the Egyptians used to supply the straw, but now they're not going to get any. So the people, this is verse number 12, so the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw because the straw had been harvested. So what they're going to do now is they're going to go to the fields and they're going to be scraping the ground, trying to pick up the little bits and pieces because guess what? They can't make, they can't make the straw or they can't make the bricks without the straw because the straw is the one thing, it's, it's caused an acidity to the brick and it causes it to harden. Otherwise, it's just like clay and it would just simply shatter. So the straw is absolutely imperative. And the taskmaster hasted them saying, fulfill your works, your daily tasks as when there was straw. He said the same expectations. There are no excuses. You will do what you were doing before. We will take accepting, accept nothing but this to be done. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, so some of the Hebrew leaders, says they were beaten and demanded. Wherefore have ye not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as heretofore? Upon missing their quotas now, the leadership, the, Egypt, the, the, the Israeli leadership is being beaten by the, by, the, by the Egyptians saying, look, you know what? What have you done? We told you to get this work done. They're beating them and they're demanding from them. It says, then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh saying, here, it says, wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? Why are you doing this, king? What have we done? We've been good slaves all this time. We've supplied the brick that you've asked us for. We've done everything that you've asked. They do not know what's happened yet. They're not aware of the fact that Moses went and spoke. All they know is Moses, when he talked to them, and said, look, God has heard and God is going to deliver. So Moses and Aaron have now gone and they've spoken to Pharaoh and things have not gone well. These men have just coming from just now, having been beaten 
and seeing the people that they care about suffering are very confused and they're seeking solutions for their plight, okay? So what do they do? They go to plead their case to the highest authority in the land. They got to go to Pharaoh himself. And what happens is they've forgotten who the real authority is. Because there is one real authority in the land, and it's certainly not Pharaoh. Not by a long shot. But what happens is so many times we seek earthly solutions to God-sized problems. Instead of turning to God in that instance, we know that they cried out to him when they felt the oppression and that God heard their cry, but now when they feel oppression, instead of turning to God again, they turn to Pharaoh and they start searching for an earthly solution. And we're guilty of the same thing, man. Something comes up in our life. What do we do? Right? I got some kind of weird bump on my leg. Oh, boy. WebMD. Hold on. <laughs> Dude, be careful if you go on WebMD. You're going to have, like, the worst disease in the world. Because, I mean, it all lays up. You're like, I got that. And I got that, too. And, man, what does that lead to? Oh, man, I'm going to have to have my leg amputated. Right? And we start getting all this stuff. We go on YouTube. We go out and watch videos and people doing stuff. Oh, my gosh. You can see some stuff on the People plucking and pulling things. Ooh, yuck. But what happens, we do that. We do Google search, we do YouTube, we're looking at all these things. We go to our friends, we ask our friends the answer. We go to our neighbor, we talk to our parents. You may come to your pastor, but then the pastor says, you know, well, have you ever prayed about it? Well, I mean, uh, no, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm going to pray about it. I mean, pff, I mean, duh, hello, of course. Well, have you prayed yet? No, no, I just kind of got freaked out by it all, and I just started doing web searches, and then I saw these pictures, and I just started getting really nervous and excited. I talked to my sister, and she said it could be this, and my brother said this, and my mom said, you know what, you heard about your aunt Nabal. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's that in my family? What, what is that? I've got that in my, is that in my blood? I could have that? Oh, my gosh. Ah, right? That's what happens, right? We get all caught up in the earthly, and we never take time to say, you know what, why don't I take this to God? Because guess what? Who's going to fix it in the end? God's the one that's going to bring the solution. So why don't I start with him instead of exhausting every earthly solution I can before getting there? Prayer, for some reason, is our last resort, but it needs to be the first place we turn. Our tendency to pray or to choose not to are a direct, direct um, indicator of our faith in God's power, his ability to intervene, and also our understanding of God's heart. Because guess what? God's desire is to work through us to improve us and make us better. And if sometimes you face something that you don't want to face, God's using that, can use it to change you, to help you to grow. Sometimes disease comes and God does not heal it. And we go, but I want it to be healed. Yeah, okay. But just because God doesn't meet our expectations doesn't mean that he's not working. Because what happens is we go, I know how it should end up. I have an expectation of how things should turn out. This is the best way for it to go, right? Remember John in John 11 with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, right? And they called for Jesus. And their expectation was that he would show up and that he would heal Lazarus. That was the best case scenario. If things would go exactly as they should based upon what they believed, they would show up in time, they would heal, he would heal Lazarus, and they would see him strengthened. But then Jesus doesn't show up. And... He lays dead for four days. And Jesus shows up and they go, oh, but Lord, if you had only been here, you had only been here, you, you, you didn't meet our expectations. We thought you'd show up at just the last minute, right? As he was about to take his last breath, you'd step in and you'd heal him. 
But we've been laying here mourning. We've been crying for four days, knowing that he's in the ground, that he's dead. God, you let us down. And yet through that, God had a plan, right? We know that when we back and we study back in the book of John, that in the Hebrew faith, for three days, they believed that the soul would stay around the body. But when it reached day four, that was confirmed they were dead. So Jesus waits four days to prove to all those mourners, that man is dead. There ain't no chance in the world he's coming back. Lazarus, come forth. Loose him, let him go. Boom, man. And their expectations were far exceeded and their faith went boom. <gasps> he can bring him back from the dead? Wow. What if God had met their expectations? He far exceeded their expectations. And that's the way God works, man. He's trying to teach you to trust Him. He's trying to teach you to say, you know what? I'm not worried. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what's happening. I don't see what, where this could possibly go, but I trust my God and I know He knows what's best for me and I'm going to put my faith in Him and I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not going to get freaked out. I'm not going to get afraid. I'm going to say, Lord, you know what? Whatever needs to happen, I'm going to trust you to walk me through it. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. And you want what's best for me. We learn to have confidence and trust in Him. And knowing Him, and knowing this, we should, He should be the first one that we turn to. After all, He is the one who is going to bring, and He's the one from, all, from whom all blessings flow. In Job 1.21, Job said this, He said, and, and naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever I have, whether I have something or I don't have it, it's up to God. It's not up to me. It doesn't matter based upon my expectations. It's based upon what God has in store. I'm going to go back to the Israelites in verse 16. And there is no straw given unto thy servants. And they say to us, make brick, and behold, thy servants are beaten. But the fault is thine own people. Pharaoh, you must not know what's going on, man. I mean, they're coming and making ridiculous uh, demands of us. Now they're beating us. We just need you to know what's going on. Please help us. Hmm. Seeking mercy. Now we know who Pharaoh is a picture of, right? He's a picture of Satan. Satan has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. John 10.10 10 tells us specifically why he has come to earth. Mercy is only found in and through God. Now, so they're looking for mercy in the wrong place. In the wrong place. When we're at our lowest and we cry out for mercy, if it's not directed at God, it falls upon deaf ears. You will receive no mercy. The enemy, the enemy hates us because we're ambassadors for God. And guess what? He hates God. He will not let up. When you cry out for mercy, he gets worse and worse and worse. Our suffering is his delight. And the worse it is for you, the more excited he becomes. We will find no mercy in him because guess what? There is no mercy within him. And guess what? These Hebrew leaders, they're not going to find any mercy either. Either. Verse 17, he says, But he said, Ye are idle, ye are idle. Therefore ye say, Let us go and do sacrifices to the Lord. He says, You lazy, lazy slaves. You dare come to me asking for me to let you go worship. You get to work. You get no mercy. Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given unto you, yet shall be delivered the tale of bricks. He says, Look, the same thing. You're going to bring exactly what I expect of you, and you'll get no straw. Work. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. 
They now, things start to come to kind of put together. They're starting to put together some of the pieces. And after it was said, you shall not diminish aught from your work or your, brick or your daily, daily task. They're asking, they realize that the impossible is being asked of them. Now, because he mentioned the worship, now they just put the things together. They're going, okay, okay, okay. We came here thinking that Pharaoh didn't know, but now he's talking about worship. Oh, boy. Moses and Aaron that came and talked to us. Oh, boy. This is their doing. This is their doing. They have come to talk to Pharaoh. Now we're all paying the price because those two guys decided to go talk to him. And let's see how they, they deal with him when they come out. And it says, uh, And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. Okay? So as they come walk out defeated and broken, they see their deliverers standing there. Right? Now, Based upon what Pharaoh had said to them, they now know what's going on. Not only do they know why it's happening, but they know whose responsibility it is. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because you have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh. He says, Look, you have turned his heart against us in the eyes of his servants, and to put a sword in their hand to slay us. You have ruined our lives. You know, it wasn't so bad. I mean, yeah, 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 we were under oppression, but this is twice as bad. And now they're beating us, for goodness sakes. We've done what we've been, we've done nothing wrong. You've done all this. Way to go, Moses and Aaron. Thanks so much. We appreciate your efforts. Thanks for the deliverance. Moses and Aaron have done exactly what God told them to do. And not only did they fail to sway Pharaoh, but now the people that they had on their side have now turned against them. There will be times when you and I will do exactly what God asked us to do. And it will seem to fail. It will seem to fail. And we'll be like, Why? Why? You may go try to talk to somebody about the Lord. And you go talk to them and you, and you share your faith and you pour your heart out to them. And it ends with them going, blank you. Boom. My brother and I, before my brother got saved, I had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And one day I had an opportunity to go out to California. My brother lives in California. And I, and I went out there and, man, and we talked and I poured my heart out to him of who God was and what God had done in my life and how he changed me. And how I went from being somebody who was, just, who was just kind of lost in life to suddenly having a direction and a purpose and an understanding of God's love like it never, ever understood. And suddenly when I shared that with him, and I mean, I gave with all my heart, man, as broken hearted as I could. And I'm crying talking to him. And he goes, I don't want to effing talk about it. I'm done about your stupid God. And he got angry and walked out of the room and slammed the door. I sat on the couch crying, going, God, you know my heart. I just want him to know you. You told me to share my faith, and I'm sharing it. And it's made my relationship with my brother worse. He doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to look at me. He ridicules me. I don't understand. But God, I did just what you asked. And when I got on the plane and flew back to North Carolina, man, I was broken the whole way. And it was a couple years before my brother's God, God finally got a hold of my brother's heart. But for all that time, you feel like, man, I, I did what you asked me. I did what you told me to do. You might be parenting your kids and going, you know what? But I'm doing all that I'm supposed to do. I'm trying to do the biblical way. And it's just not working. Why are they the way they are? Why are they rebellious? Why are they fighting me? Why are they pushing back? Why are they so hateful? How can they be so hateful? Because you know what? They're not fighting against you. They're fighting against God. And as God tries to draw them, because of our rebellious nature, we stomp our feet and we get angry. And we try to force our will. But the wonderful thing about God is he's what you call long-suffering. He just keeps drawing and keeps reaching. And he takes our bad mistakes and he uses them to get us where he needs us to go. It's like a GPS system, man. You put in the destination, right? 
no matter how many wrong turns you take, guess what? If you just listen to the GPS, eventually you'll end up at the destination. He'll take your mistakes and your way of going and he'll redirect them and redirect them and redirect them and redirect them. You might have a hundred wrong turns, but if you just stay on track, eventually you'll end up at the destination. That's God, the long suffering of God. And they said, let's see if I'm on verse number 20. They said to them, the Lord uh, look upon you and judge you. I said that um, in these instances, right? Now there are there in these instances, we can do one of two things, right? We can be discouraged and we can vow to never do that again. I'm done. I'm never trying that again. I tried witnessing to somebody. I tried to share my faith. They got mad at me. I know I'm never doing that again. I'm done. I'm done. People do that. People go to church and something bad happens. I'm done with church. I'm done with that. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Walk away. Or we have a different attitude. We go, you know what? All I know is I'm going to be resolved to be faithful to do what God calls me to do. I'm not going to worry about the results. I'm going to leave those things up to him. And I'm just going to be faithful to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to make sure my heart's right. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, not for my glory, but for God's glory. And as I focus upon doing what I'm doing for him, you know what? I'm not going to worry about the results. I'm not going to worry about what even happens around me. I'm going to know that if I'm doing what he asks me to do, that eventually it will come to the the end that he wants it to. And Moses, and it says in verse number 22, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil and treated this people? Why is this happening, Lord? What is going on? Why is it that thou hast sent me? He says, you know, is this why you sent me? Walking by sight and not by faith, Moses reacts to his circumstances and questions God. Can you imagine that? Questioning God. But how many of us have been guilty of that little gem right there, questioning God? Yep. Yep. Things don't go the way we expect, and we start questioning him. Check this out, verse number 23, almost done. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, notice the way he says this, to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Listen to the accusation as he speaks to God here. I came to speak in thy name. You have done, he, says, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. You came and told me to come to deliver them, and you've done nothing at all. Nothing has gone the way you promised. Nothing's happening. Check this out. Moses has forgotten something very important. Very, very important. God told him what was going to happen. And back in Exodus, chapter number 3, verses 19 through 20, he said this, And I am sure, this is God speaking, And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. Not only will he not let you go, but he's going to enforce his power upon you. Be ready. Verse 20, and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. The problem Moses has is he's got a short-term memory loss. God's just told him, hey, man, when you go, he's not going to listen. It isn't going to go the way you think it's going to go. You want it to go that way, but it's not going to. And I'm going to tell you up front, it's not going to. But whenever I step up, and when you allow me to do what I'm going to do, I'm going to change things. Learning to trust God instead of circumstances is crucial to being profitable for the kingdom of God. You know what? Because it is most definitely a test of faith. 
to learn to trust God, not your eyes, not your circumstances, but to simply say, you know what? I know my God. He's given me his word and he will not break it. God is a God of his word, man. And if you see his promises in the word of God and you stand on those promises, you may not receive the result today, but one day you will. There are people that I've known that have prayed for loved ones for 20, 30 years that they would come to know Christ. And for all that time, the person stood in rebellion, rebellion. There have been stories of women that prayed for their husbands and the women died. And at the husband's, when the husband came to the funeral, who got saved in the funeral, praise the Lord, man. God's faithful. He's faithful. And if you're broken right now and you want to be restored, God's faithful, man. He can restore you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. He created you for a purpose. He created you for a loving relationship with Him. And He's working right now to work in you. And life has treated you badly. Yes, all of us have been through hard times. But God says, you know what? I can take those hard times and I can restore you. And I can take the pain of your life and the things you've suffered. And I can use them to help somebody else. The scars of your life become the bandages for somebody else. There are broken people in the world right now outside of these doors that have no hope. They have no hope. But you have got a brokenness in you that God has restored. And by sharing your story and allowing God to use your life, your brokenness becomes hope to them. When my wife and I had a situation where our marriage was done, and my wife said, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be married to you. I want a divorce. I don't want to be in this situation. I, don't want, to, I want to be gone. And our life was, was shattered. And God worked and restored that relationship and made us better than we've ever been. That brokenness becomes the most wonderful hope for people that are suffering. Because it isn't telling you, hey, you know what? Theoretically, this should work. We're saying we have lived that brokenness. And in the midst of that brokenness, we saw God restore it. So where you're sitting today, we have sat. And we've watched God do a miracle. He is faithful. He is able. The question is, are you willing to trust him? Not in the circumstance of what you see around you what is going to come in the future. Will you hold on to his promise or will you just look at the world around you? It's a choice. But very specifically in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, but we walk by faith and not by sight. It's a hard thing to do. But if you will do it, God will free you. And you'll find the fact that God, you know what? He wants to work in us. And every time we face opposition, it's a test of faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for your message. Thank you for the truth of the word of God and, Lord, the incredible wisdom that is, uh, that is in the book. <laughs> How we can turn any page, Lord, and we can find unbelievable wisdom, Lord, that we just don't even, even understand so many times, God. Thank you for the fact that you use the Spirit of God to reveal to us a truth that, God, we can turn around and use in our lives. And, Lord, I'm so thankful for all those that come here that have been broken. And God, we're watching you restore them. And Father, we do have to walk by faith and not by sight because the world is full of lies and we have an enemy that desperately wants to destroy us, discourage us, to oppress us. And Lord, he many times will increase the oppression to break us. But God, if we walk by faith and not by sight, we can hold on to the promises of God in the midst of that oppression and have hope in our hearts and a joy that does not un doesn't make sense to the world. The Bible says it calls it a peace that passeth all understanding. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this world and your willingness to come down to a broken people to restore us. Thank you that we can have trust in you and not in ourselves. God, you are so good to us. 
thank you for the fact that you're calling out to us even today. And there are people in this room today that are broken. God, your desire, your heart's desire is to restore them and to show them how much you love them. God, I love you and I'm thankful for that presence. I'm thankful for what you've done in us. Help us, Lord, as we do deal with adversity to know that it's a test of our faith. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what? Hey, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds and I'm afraid. I'm broken right now. My heart's broken. My life's been filled with tragedy. And right now I feel as if I have no hope. I want you to know that there is hope. God has a plan for your life. And through the hard times that you've been, God can take those hard times and use them for his glory. I was not raised in church. I did not, was not raised in a in religious environment of any kind at all. I was raised with Santa Claus as Christmas time and Easter Bunny's Easter. That's it. And 17, almost 18 years ago, God worked in my life and revealed himself to me and changed my whole life and gave me a hope that I never knew existed before. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm broken, God can restore you. If you're here today and you say, you know, I'm lost, God can find you. If you're here and you say, you know, I'm miserable, I'm sad, I'm broken, God can give you a joy in your heart that you never, ever dreamed possible. And not only can he take that and use your life for you personally, but he can take and use your life to help somebody else. It's awesome. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't have that peace. I am that broken person. I do not have that love, but I want it. God's calling out to you right now. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your situation is, but he's offering you a chance to know him for him to work in your heart and in your life. And if you want that, I'm going to give you that opportunity now. It's not a matter of a special prayer. It's not a matter of a ceremony. It's nothing like that. This is a matter of a personal experience between you and God who loves you. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, anybody, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do we call on to him? Do we call him just, just, to, just to say a prayer? No. It says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. God says he's listening to your heart. And if in your heart of hearts you truly want to receive Christ, you have that opportunity today. You can do what I did almost 17, almost, almost 18 years ago. You can call on him today and he can save your soul and give you that peace that you so desperately desire. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It's not something you need to do out loud. You can speak to God in your heart and in your mind. And as you call out to him, trust me, he's listening. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, by faith, I'm going to lead you in prayer. And this prayer, like I said, is not magic words. God's listening to your heart. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ and receive that peace that you want so bad. Repeat after me in your heart. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. You know that all, all that I've done, the times I've hurt myself, the times I've hurt others, the times I've hurt you, I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I trust you, and I'm begging you, you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray.